Welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremiah Johnson alongside Rick Maynard. Today it is a verse-by-verse edition. We're going to be diving into 2 Kings chapter 2 in just a minute. But before we do that, thanks as always for listening to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. So let's welcome in Rick Maynard. Welcome in, Rick. Thank you. I didn't know I was that popular. Man. (laughs) You, you're moving up the ladder, Rick. I you am. got your own intro. I know, I know. It's Building amazing. the con- podcast little by little. Well, yes. it's almost 4th of July, Rick, and so this is going to be kind of, a, I guess, a 4th of July special, if you will. So hopefully we've got some fireworks today. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> For the, so you got some fireworks you're going to unload on us here today? Well, I don't know. We'll see as we go here. I may I may get all fired up here at some point. We'll see. But All right, going to wrap up Second Kings chapter 2, head into Second Kings chapter 3. So let's dive in, Rick. Okay. This is uh, verse 46, the last verse. It says, Then the king gave the order to Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck Shimei down and killed him. The kingdom was now firmly established in Solomon's hands. So, you know, just quick review, but Shimei is, uh, has not been a very good person all along. So we have Solomon coming along and taking care of really what David should have done, but David promised Shimei he wouldn't kill him, but he left it for uh, Solomon, and Shimei was disobedient. He deserved uh, to die. This wasn't Solomon being cruel. Uh, He had done some things that Solomon told him that if he did it, he would die, and now he did it, and he dies. So. And I apologize, we're in 1 Kings chapter 2. I said 2 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 2. Yeah, right. Sorry, I may have said that too, but... Um, but anyway, you know, and we don't have any response from Shimei here. There's nothing recorded that Shimei came back and, you know, argued the point or anything. But I, I just had to think about, you know, just human nature itself. You know, we would begin to, well, I didn't, I didn't understand that that's what you meant, Solomon. You know, I didn't understand that I wasn't supposed to leave town or, or I didn't think it was that big of a deal or, uh, you know, that's that would be the human nature of people when God rebukes us, uh, when we come to church and the pastor preaches a message out of the Word, and you know we're like, man, that was pretty harsh. I didn't think you know that God was going to be that mad about you know about what <laughs> yeah. I did, or you know we make all kinds of it's human nature. We make excuses. Very seldom does somebody um, tell us something, and we're like, you know, you're right. I really should change that. You know, I really should. Most of us are just defensive. Mm-hmm, as soon as right. somebody criticizes, we get defensive. But, and, and we've talked about this where uh, Solomon is, is cleaning house. He killed Joab. Uh, he's killed Shimei, so he's cleaning the place. And, and I, I thought of the scripture, and we won't read it, but it's in Luke where it talks about uh, sweeping the house clean, talks about evil spirits coming in, and, and you sweep the house clean, and then it says, the spirit comes back, and the house he finds it swept, and they, but he brings more back with him. Mm-hmm. Well, the I, I always thought, you know, growing up when I'd hear that story, it was kind of like, man, that I don't get that. How mm-hmm. he swept it clean, but now it's worse than it was before. And I, I heard somebody preach one time, and the best example or best uh, explanation, I guess, for that was talking about the fact that when you clean house, you know, you can get rid of all that stuff. But if you don't replace it with the right stuff, mm, that's then good. it just leaves a vacancy there. 
And so, you know, you can you can live for the Lord and you can get saved. Well, you can not live for the Lord. You can get saved. You can supposedly sweep the house clean. But if you don't begin to put things back of the Lord, you know, right. if you don't begin to pray and, and put the church back into your life and have something to occupy right. the space, then... And so, uh, you know, in that illustration, that's what Solomon begins to do. He's sweeping the house clean, but he'll he'll replace those things. He's not. Uh, this is not an instance where Solomon wants the ultimate authority. You know. <laughs> and again, what a what a crazy time compared to today, right? Well, yeah, I just didn't really like Rick Maynard as a leader, so let's just kill him. Yeah, <laughs> let's, just, let's just get rid of him, you know. And I, I'm sure, you know, we think it's that simple. There was probably right, yeah. way more to it on some of these. Uh, they probably had a lot more grace and mercy than it appears sometimes. But um, but anyway, that story just ends where he's cleaning house, and we'll, we'll see as you read through some of the people, he begins to replace those people uh, with someone else, uh, begins to fill the house back up, if you would. But... Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. So um, this is a total uh, change. We've had information where he's cleaning house and all those kind of things, and now this just, Shimei's gone, time to move on. It's another story. And uh, I, I remind people, most people know this, but you know, honestly, I think I was an adult before somebody ever taught this to me, but I always thought Pharaoh was the name of a guy. You know, when they said Pharaoh did this, mm-hmm. Pharaoh, you know, crucified Jesus or whatever. And I always thought, well, that Pharaoh guy was a, you know, was a mean guy. And there was a lot of guys named Pharaoh in the Bible. Yeah, right. But, uh, but that's just the title. That's yeah, not position. the name or the, yeah, the position. So uh, they think that this uh, Pharaoh that was the king of Egypt at the time, uh, there was a, a pharaoh called Vafris that was a uh, friend of David's. They, they actually found letters that had been written between this pharaoh and David. So they think maybe there was some kind of an alliance or at least a friendship between uh, the king of Egypt and uh, David prior to this story. So um, this is bringing a non-Jew into the Jewish faith. So, in other words, Pharaoh's daughter, the Pharaoh king of Egypt's daughter, would not have been a Jew. Solomon really should not have been uh, marrying her, uh, allying himself, but it was probably just a ploy to get favor with another country. So, you know, it would be like if we were trying to uh, get favor or get uh, favor with North Korea that our president would take a wife from Kim Jong Un. <laughs> yeah, you know, would take his daughter to be his <laughs> wife so that it would make some kind of an alliance. Uh, there, there was a lot of that kind of play that went on through the Bible. Even though you know we think, oh, the Bible's so mm-hmm. holy, but man, right. yep. there was a lot of unholy stuff that that went on. And this is Solomon's second wife, so. Um, it didn't take long. He married her in the fourth year of his reign. It didn't take long for Solomon to begin to take multiple wives, you know, and we know that gets much worse as time goes on, but this is the second wife. It doesn't take long for him to begin to really to sin, if you would, but 
And I, I talk about this a lot. When I, when I teach Sunday school class, this is one of the most confusing things for me is the fact that it was never proper to have multiple wives. You know, and we think because God didn't just strike everybody dead who had multiple wives, we think it was an acceptance of it. It was never an acceptance of having multiple wives, but I've never understood why God didn't take more action against men who had multiple wives. It was as if he stepped aside, even though he didn't like it and it wasn't right, that he just didn't address it. And so, you know, people always say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this or that. Yeah. If, if that were true, this would probably be one of my questions. <laughs> Lord, why did you allow that? Why did you not make a bolder statement against, because it was, it was all through biblical history. I mean, it's not an isolated thing that right, men had multiple exactly. wives. So, well, when you get to heaven, you'll have your own planet with lots of wives, so you won't have to worry about it. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's enough to change religion right now. So, I'm out of here. I'm <laughs> so I know we don't believe that. That was no, just a joke. Yeah, okay, that was a joke. That was a joke. Uh, verse two: uh, The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet yet been built for the name of the Lord. So, um, the proper thing is to sacrifice in the temple. But there was an allowance made if there wasn't a temple or a permanent place, uh, you were allowed to um, to sacrifice somewhere else. So it wasn't just an excuse. Uh, verse 3, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. So even uh, Solomon kind of stepped out of the bounds there. It says, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense. So uh, he made some mistakes. He's four years into this thing, and he's already taken another wife. He's already sacrificing some things where he shouldn't be sacrificing. And uh, it says he showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father. Um, I, I found, I don't even know where this was, but it talked about three ways of loving God. And I I thought uh, if, you know, if we had a board and we ask people, okay, how do we show our love for God? You know, there would be all kinds of responses. We would say, uh, we go to church, we read our Bible, we pray, we do all those. And and those are kind of uh, things that we do. But does that really, I mean, just because I read my Bible, just because I come in and do a podcast, does that, that in itself mean that I really love the Lord? Not necessarily. I mean, a, a man could not live for the Lord at all and study the Bible and teach out of it. So uh, that's not a true uh, uh, example of your love for the Lord just because you read your Bible. So uh, anyway, these three things I thought were a little more uh, nails it down a little bit. But one way, number one, of, of uh, showing your love for the Lord is a, a true belief that we really believe. We say, I believe, but... Do we really? I mean, and, I, and I've used this with people. Well, I believe in God. Well, so does the devil. Right. And the devil's smart enough that he's afraid. It says the devil trembles. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people that say, I believe in God, they don't fear God. They don't have any kind of fear. So it's not a true belief in God. We have to say, I believe that everything I have comes from God. You know, my money, my family, everything comes from God. That's a true belief you know the and the bible says 
you know, when it comes to salvation, one of the things is believing. I mean, believe and confess has always been kind of a, a two words that went hand in hand. But true belief, and along with true belief comes trust. You know, we can say, I believe, I believe there is a God, and all those, but do we trust him to say, God said so, and I just believe it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound rational or whatever, but I believe it. When he said that I could be saved, then I have to believe I'm saved, that it's not conditional every day. I have to, well, I don't know, because, you know, I don't know about you, but some days I don't feel saved. You know, some days right. <laughs> I do something or I think something or I say something and I'm like, man, am I even saved? You know, saved people shouldn't think like that or right. act like that. Uh, and I think we all probably have, have been through those times where it's like, I don't feel saved, but we believe and we trust when he said that we're saved and we're a child of God, then we are a child of God. And then, uh, you know, the other thing it, it, when it's showing our love for the Lord and the belief and the trust, you can look around, and the Bible says, you know, if you're struggling with belief and trust, just look around. Look at creation. And I, I use the example Saturday mornings, if you have the TV on, almost everything on your uh, basic stations are, you know, ocean rescue or animal rescue or marine rescue and those kind of things. And they'll show, you know, the fish and the, and it's like, you know, how can you look at all of that and believe that there wasn't somebody's hand, you know, in that, Yeah. that all those beautiful neon blue fish and they just happened to, you know, and, and a true belief in God says that he spoke those things into existence, Mm -hmm. which is even more amazing that God didn't have to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to take a green fish and a purple fish, and if I put those two fish together, I'm going to get this neon blue fish. Or he just said, let there be neon blue fish, and there were neon blue fish. Yeah. You know? Yep. And so, um, and all of these things, you know, I believe Solomon uh, possessed. I, I believe I possess. I may fall short in some of them, but I have a true belief and I have a trust and I believe in God's creation. I can look around and, and, uh, reinforce my belief and my trust. But, uh, but Solomon has a problem and his problem, I thought it was legal to sacrifice anywhere. That's really what he's saying here. I thought it was okay. Uh, and we just mentioned this before we even started the podcast. We we're talking about how people, uh, think that everything is about a law. Will God send me to hell if I do these things? And so there was still a temporary temple. He should have uh, been at the those uh, the temple itself. He shouldn't have been sacrificing at the high places. The altars were always up on a hillside somewhere. Uh, so he was not doing the proper... It was probably a little too inconvenient to go into the temple every time. So he was still sacrificing uh, where he should... And the other issue, he should have built the temple sooner. He had the plans. He had the money. I don't know what he was doing for four years. I don't know why there was a delay, um, but he should have got right on that. That should not have been something that waited. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, sacrificing where he shouldn't have been sacrificing, if he'd have built the temple, he wouldn't have had to do that. He had the place to, 
to do it. He'd have been living right there if you would. But um, and I, you know, I related this a little bit to they had too many altars. They had too many places that you could go and and sacrifice. And and I maybe this is a stretch, but I've I've looked at this. It's almost like, do we have too many churches? Okay. You know, (laughs) at one time, and Carthage has always kind of been known for really a lot of churches, and there are. I mean, sometimes we think of the mainstream, we think of the big churches, we think of, but, you know, we can say, well, the Baptist church, and immediately people think of the big Baptist church down on Garrison, but there's all kinds of Baptist church in town, and you can think about which assembly of God is the biggest, but there's more than one assembly of God church. And, you know, so it, it's almost like, where did all that start? You know, we didn't used to have, I mean, from the Bible, we didn't have, so they branched off everybody. Well, I don't exactly agree (laughs) with that. So let's go build our own altar. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. That's what I, you know, that's kind of the way I have looked at this. And the problem with, with a lot of that is lack of accountability. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it in my lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and again. And they, I took a slight, uh, a few minutes ago, I took a slight jab at the LDS church um, just because I existed in Mormon, uh-huh. <laughs> Mormon land for six right. years as a pastor. But I do, um, hopefully this is not controversial to someone that's listening. I admire some of the functions yes. of the LDS church. Yes. Not, I'm not, I'm not doctrine, not mm-hmm. theology, the functions. And one of which is they have wards or churches and you don't get to choose which one you go to. So right. it's like, if you live on, you know, it'd be, mm-hmm. if you live on the West side of Carthage, you go to the West side mm-hmm. ward, you go to the East side ward, you get it. And there's not, it's not optional. That's like what you do. That's your church. Right. You don't get to pick, the pastor, even there, they they do a different form of leadership, mm-hmm. but you know it's not like they get a vote on who is the right the pastor, and and, and you live with who the pastor is, you know, you, mm-hmm. and you don't get a you don't get to go to East Side now, right? Because you don't like the current tenure, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and so there's some things there that, and I think our our knee jerk reaction because we're so free as Americans, right? In America, it's like, well, we should have the option. Mm-hmm. We what you there? You could not tell me. Right. Where to go and not to go to church. And one time I was helping a lady move in. She just moved to Utah and her family was connected with our church. And, and fortunately I, I knew her, I didn't know her well enough that she didn't know my, some of my humor. Mm-hmm. So we're unloading things. I said, uh, man, it's really great to have you in this area. And I said, I don't know if you're familiar with kind of how LDS church works, but you got to, if you're part mm-hmm. of the LDS church, you got to go to this church if you're there. And I said, so we, we kind of took on part of that in the evangelical church in Utah. So we have kind of put, we, when someone new moves here, we put the names in kind of like a hat, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then we draw out who kind of assumes ownership and leadership over that person. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool. You, I actually picked your name. And so you're actually going to have to go to Canyon road now. (laughs) She's like, wait, what? (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. That actually doesn't happen, (laughs) but it sounds really good. you know, (laughs) well, I, and I, I've seen it, and you've seen it. We were just talking about it where uh, someone gets disgruntled with the church, and they go down the street and start their own church. And, you know, again, the problem with that many times is lack of accountability. Yep. You know, I'll start my own church. I don't need a board. I don't need any directors. I don't need 
I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. I'm not accountable to anybody. And, and the impression that the impression in, in this time of having too many altars is once that branches out so far, and I don't know where that line would be, but once that gets so big and you've got so many altars, there's an impression that there's so many gods. Mm that all those people are not worshiping the same God. And I say the impression of that because people would be oh. like, well, uh, no, I don't, I don't think that. But what about the non-Christian? Yes. Yep. What about the non-godly man who looks at, at this scenario with many altars? He would think there must be a lot of gods if you've got to have that many mm-hmm. altars. Yeah. And I, I really believe that, that that comes in today with outside thinking. And, and I, let me just say... If I were not a Christian, now I'm a Christian. I've served God most of my life, you know. But it, if I if I pretend, and I have always said, probably because I was raised in the church and know so much about church, whatever government and all of those kind of things, the legalism that was in the church when I was a kid, because I know so much about that, I can really speak to it. Yeah. If I were a non-Christian, <laughs> I would be one of the uh, it w- you would be hard-pressed to ever convince me because I would have an argument for everything that. And one of my arguments would be as a non-Christian, so yeah. make yes. sure you understand yep. me as I speak here. This is not Rick Maynard speaking his feeling. Yep. This is speaking from the perspective of a non-Christian. I would think when you're in Carthage, and I'm not speaking about the Baptist or the Assemblies or any other mm-hmm. denomination, yep. but... I will, I'll, I'll just speak to the assemblies. At one time, we had uh, what was First Assembly, now is Grace Point. Yep. We had Oak Street Assembly of God Church. We had Evangel Assembly of God Church. And we had Harvest Time Assembly of God, which was five miles from Carthage, but still yep. Carthage address, in other right. words. <laughs> so there were four Assembly of God churches. If I were a non-Christian, you know what that would look like to me? It would look like that people can't even get along in their own denomination. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> I'm not saying that's the truth. I'm just saying the the impression that people yeah. would get as non Christians, and you could even go broader with that and say, well, if it all started with the disciples and establishing a church in the Book of Acts and all those times where the church was being established then how did we get all these different denominations mm-hmm. and multiple right. churches within a denomination within the same city? And that's not even, uh, there was four Assembly of God churches. That doesn't even count the Hispanic Assembly of God. Yeah, That's just English-speaking right. right. yep. <laughs> Assembly of God. So the impression with many altars was many gods. Yep. And you could, you could look at that the same way with, um, you know, well, the, the churches can't even get along themselves. In, in a city or within their own denomination, they don't even agree on everything. Yeah. And so how am I, why, why would I want to be a part of something that is so diverse, in other words, yep. that can't even come together? And, and so that was the impression, in other words. Yeah. And, and it paved the way. There was a statement there that says it paved the way for idolatry. And it goes back to even, uh, I mentioned the LDS church or the Catholic church. One of the things that they really try to hold to is we're kind of the church. Mm-hmm. This is the, 
you know, and, and it does make sense. I, I, sorry, if you're listening today and you're part of the uh, church, Jesus, church of the Latter-day Saints, I apologize. We'll hang out sometime. It'll be okay. But one of the things in the conversations I would have with them would be that confusion of, you know, them having, we're one church. Mm-hmm. We are the church right. of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, the church. Mm-hmm. Why would you, what's Baptist? What's, mm-hmm. it, it was very confusing to them. Right. And right. and did it did frankly it didn't make sense to them, right? It, like so, explain this to me or like different denomination. Like what's that? Mm-hmm. Like what you know? And they don't even know from a very pure puristic standpoint. They were so used to being in this one church mm-hmm. to now interact with other people that are Christian but have a plethora of names and mm-hmm. beliefs. Is like, man, that sounds weird, right? <laughs> you know? know, and you're like, and if you think, sit down, and think about, it, you're like, yeah, it does kind of sound weird, doesn't it? Whoa, yeah. Well, and I think of other, you know, whatever denomination, religion, whatever. But you know, we've we've been so critical, and it's kind of like you say, you don't agree with all the Latter Day Saints um, uh, teachings or whatever, but you admire that point. I admire the fact that that Jehovah Witnesses are knocking on doors every day. Yeah. Every Saturday. Get, yeah. <laughs> I'm not knocking on anybody's door and trying to tell them about the love of Jesus. Yeah. You know, so there's there's something to be said, but uh but anyway, but this... that's a that is a very good point. And I'll, I'll let me hit up one more thing mm-hmm. that's fascinating. When I've been in Nairobi, Kenya, in the slums of Nairobi, you would think you walk into this environment, uh mm-hmm. one of the most poverty stricken environments in the entire world, and you say, Man, the church needs to be here, right? We mm-hmm. would say that. And when you step in there, you will see thousands upon thousands of churches in the slums of Nairobi. You will see 10 Christian churches side by side. Mm. And one of my friends who's a native Kenyan says, kind of speaking to this point said, I think that's a problem because the people don't know they're confused. Right. It almost brings a, you would, you would almost think having that many churches is a good thing, but in his mind, it's a negative because he, he believes that that has brought a spirit of confusion right. to the people because it's like, well, here's Christian church of the love of Jesus. Here's the mm-hmm. life church of Jesus. What's the difference? Which one is right? Mm-hmm. Which one am I supposed to go to? Right. There's 20 of them literally in a row mm-hmm. with the, the name of Jesus Christ stamped on it. Right. I just think we forget because we live in the, I, I mean, I pretty much live in the church. I always have, but it's, it, it's, it is confusing when you look at things. We forget that people are looking in from the outside who are not Christians. Yes. You know, we think that everybody ought to have a Christian mentality and have an understanding. But, uh, but uh, you know, it, it paved the way for idolatry in the fact that if you think there's many altars, then there must be many gods. Or if there's many churches, they don't even know what they, what they believe because they can't even get along and agree on everything, so they have to start another church start another church, start another church. Yeah. Uh, they, it just grows. And then uh, you get to the point where you can't even tell the difference between what's real and what's not. Just yeah. like you were saying, 10 churches And I, in and I know we're, it seems like maybe we're going on a, a rant here, but it's very, I think this is a, a really good truth to hang on for a second. For example, I read uh, an article a year ago now, and it was talking about if you're a Christian or an evangelical Christian, mm. that that's, was becoming a popular terminology right. and we see it in in our church today you know getting controversial if we will for a minute 
issues of, I remember when I went to, and this is like 20 years back now, uh, but when I went to North Central University in downtown Minneapolis, I remember I went to church and a Sums of God church downtown Minneapolis. And then across, literally right across from us was a church called the Church of Lakes, which was a uh, gay Christian church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Name of Jesus. Right. Right. I mean, Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now what's the difference? Right. What's the difference between this church across the street called whatever it was, something of some's God that has the name of Jesus Christ stamped mm-hmm. on its right. wall, its building. And then this church right across the street, very different lifestyles, very different beliefs, mm-hmm. but yet they both seem to be operating under the same name. Right. Very confusing. Yeah. Well, and this I, is the culture we're living in today. Same thing. I thought, and we changed, I don't remember how many years ago we changed the name of this church and it had always been first assembly of God. And I never did really like that because I don't, and honestly, I can't tell you if that was named First Assembly because we it was the first assembly of God that was, you know, uh, started in Carthage. Or, But it, it, to me, it gave the appearance of we thought we were better than the second assembly of God yeah. in Joplin or, or then Evangel or because we were first assembly, like, Mm-hmm. Like the yep. like the Latter Day Saint, the Assembly of God Church. So, um, and maybe we've harped too long on this, but I think <laughs> uh, it, it it is talking about too many altars. You know, too many altars in the church. I mean, uh, too many churches with altars. In other words, so so we better move on on that. We probably people are probably turning us off now because they're yeah. <laughs> mad at us for this. But uh, but verse four. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, so at least he's going to the right place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So uh, Gibeon is the home of the tabernacle that they had then, anyway. Uh, The Hebrew calls it the great altar, which uh, didn't have anything to do probably with it being bigger or more prestigious. It wasn't the better church. Uh, there wasn't a greater blessing there because, well, this this church is big, and so God must be there more than he's in the church that has 10 or 15 people. Uh, it's back years ago when we had the Brownsville revival. You know, I, I never went, but I wasn't, I wasn't offended that people were going to the Brownsville revival. But, uh, you know, sometimes people think that because of the size of something— uh, of the church or whatever that God is moving there right. more than uh, you know the other church or whatever, mm-hmm. and so there was it was kind of that play with the temple or whatever that uh, God was more in the temple than somewhere else. And you know what? At that time, He was. I mean, there was a presence of God and a fire that burnt there that had burnt for thousands of years. Um, so. Uh, there was uh, there was temporary altars that had been permitted, but the important sacrifices, the big sacrifices, had to be brought to Gibeon to the big uh, altar. And those thousand probably weren't all in one day. That doesn't mean he sacrificed all day, you know. But uh, but it was important. The place was important during that time, and and I think today we you know wherever you go to church today, uh, there should be a love for that place. You know, and I think we don't have the one temple anymore. We have churches on 
I don't know how many corners. There was at one time Carthage had about 35 churches, and I believe now there's probably at least 50. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. Yeah. But because of the fact that we have, uh, I think the Hispanic churches, there's a lot of them, and I think that has increased. So I would say at least we're at 50 mm-hmm. or more uh, churches. And I believe if we were in a sacrificial system now and we don't have that temple that exists, I believe you could go to any one of those churches, or I I guess, I don't know all those churches, but you could go to those churches and bring your sacrifices to the Lord, uh, lay them on the altar of that church, and you wouldn't be any more blessed because uh, because you brought your, your offering to uh, Grace Point than you would if you brought your offering to the Baptist church or the Nazarene church or whatever it may be. And uh, well, I think we need to remember that. We need to remember we're not the only place and we're not the best place. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, a place for people, and we all want to think our church is it. You know, everybody ought to come to my church, you know. And you should have that. You should have that feeling that my church is good. You know, I want people to come to my church. But um, this, is not the only, this is not the only place for sacrifice. We don't want to make people yep. believe that, that you have to come here and you're going to be more blessed here than you will be at uh, Pastor Perkins' church, you know. Um, and we know we are better than Pastor Perkins' church. I should put that Absolutely. out there. For, um, Absolutely. I tell him that every week when we right. pray together. Right. So I hope Hey, he, before we, we start praying, Pastor Perkins, we're better than your church, just right, so you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I'm here, and he's, he's out there, you know. So anyway. Well, hey, Again, good. we're kidding. We love you, Brother Perkins. <laughs> He knows it because we're actually in a relationship with him. Yes. Hey, God bless you guys. Those are good thoughts to munch on as we're and we're going through the Word of God, First Kings chapter three. Hope that you read through that. Let God challenge you, speak to you. I know that we have our things that we really munch on, think about, that we're convicted about. But I know that God wants to speak to you as well. So keep diving in the Word with us each and every week as we go through the verse by verse edition. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. 